The dust has settled from a game one loss by the Phoenix Suns to the Denver Nuggets. Our hearts have returned to beating normally. We have a clear head on what happened. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, we'll take another look at the loss. Specifically, what matters on both offense and defense for the Suns and give you a deep dive game two preview. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked on Suns your first listen uh, Sunday night, Monday morning, whenever you're finding the show. I know I get some comments when I say first listen. People are like, I actually listen to this before I go to bed. Wherever you are, whenever you are, a big thank you for listening, making us part of your day, getting locked on to your favorite team every single Monday through Friday, plus really more like Saturdays and Sundays during the playoffs. If you're finding us for the first time, though, hit follow, hit subscribe, wherever you find podcasts we are there including youtube if you're on youtube hit the bell get a notification when a show goes up and drop a comment with what you would do what would you change what would your adjustment be if you could wear monty williams i guess quarter zip uh for game two uh let me know i think most of you are going to be totally level-headed and normal about that so i I trust those comments will be very tame but join the community we broke four thousand subscribers on youtube so that has been an awesome rampage through the playoffs as we grow and the team gets further and further. Brandon Duenas is here, as he is every single Monday. Uh, packed day, packed weekend, it sounds like. We'll, we'll see if Brandon uh, is as level-headed about his takes because he didn't have yesterday to vent for 40 minutes like I did. But uh, today's show, guys, brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. All right, Brandon. I'm going to just, I'm going to pass it to you on the elbow like we saw the Suns do with Kevin Durant and let you ISO here a little bit. Uh, You did not do a podcast. You did not tweet very much during the game. I checked that before we hit record here. So what, what's staying with you? What spoke to you the most from Saturday night and how the Suns kind of blew it? Yeah, I mean, it's just the typical game one feeler, right? It's like every series, it's just whichever team comes out and sets the tone. Uh, it's typically going to take game one. And I think just the complete, you know, 360 in terms of the the opponent and style um, going from, you know, the Clippers trying to just muddy it up uh, to a Denver team that's going to run up and down the floor. It's just a completely different stylistic approach, I think. And that, uh, you know, it just kind of snowballed. It was, it was a perfect storm for Denver. Uh, to me, it just looked like they were more hungry. They're hitting threes at, at a pretty high clip. And Jamal Murray just has a personal vendetta against the Suns. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I was not shocked to see him do what he did. And I think he just wanted to, for all the people that said that his injury didn't matter in that 2021 series, he was trying to send a message directly to them. Um, so this is a team with uh, that's out for vengeance and I, I'm not shocked at all. I'm also not going to overreact and say, you know, the sky's falling. I think it's, you know, this has always been a six or seven game series. I think, uh, how the Suns adjust and if they can just, you know, take game two and go back to Phoenix one, one, that's you know, doing your job on the road. So overall, it was definitely a frustrating game. There's a lot of little things that I think can be fixed. Um, some hot shooting, you know, role players play better at home. It's it's just the whole uh, combination of that, plus the turnovers. 
It was just it was yeah. brutal. I mean, they they just got to take care of the ball and just be more active on defense. That's the bottom line. So let's start with the first thing you said, which is it's a feel-out game. Uh, and it's also game one, period. I mean, some game ones, one team does dominate. Some game ones are a little tight and awkward, like the Clippers series was for the Suns. Some game ones, uh, every both teams hit the ground running. Like, I think they're all, all there are all sorts of these things. But in this game... It definitely felt that way. You know, I got on the Suns a lot for not being ready to pounce on different weak points from the Nuggets to stick with what was working from their standpoint, all that. We can get into that a little bit more in the next segment. Um, and I think I, I maintain and stand by all of that because it's a lot of continuation from what we saw against the Clippers. But I do think they'll be more ready in game two. On the Jamal Murray point, it shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, I think Suns fans who have followed this team for a long time remember that he's killed them all the time. A- Any time that he didn't have a torn ACL, he has killed the Suns. And so that shouldn't have shocked anybody that he came out both confident, but just that he had a plan of attack and executed it. I think he wasn't afraid of really any Suns defender that he came across in space outside of maybe Torrey Craig, but that wasn't so much that Torrey Craig like blocked his shot a few times or anything. It was more just he didn't want to have to deal with the 6'8 dude when he's trying to ISO and cook, so he wanted Landry Shamit on him instead. And I totally get that. I don't I don't think that counts as fear necessarily to me. So Murray is going to keep doing this. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but the, the more that I thought about it, and I did the Just Basketball show, which people can find wherever they get podcasts uh, just before this, and... We obviously talked about game one there, and I was trying to come up with, like, what's the big kind of, like, bow to wrap around game one? What Not a good thing. I don't mean bow, like, pretty it up. I just mean, like, what's my big thought? And I really came away feeling, Brandon, like, the Suns lost this game because of the small stuff. And I feel like you could look at that and be like, well, damn, like, golden opportunity missed if we if, if the team had just played better or... You could look at that and say, well, you know, the Nuggets didn't have, like, Jokic didn't have his best game, so you should have taken advantage of that and this and that. And I don't think any of that's wrong. But I feel like it's a lot easier to, to stomach a loss if you say we lost because you got killed on the offensive boards, you let Murray get hot in the same time frame when you kept turning the ball over, both of those things happened together, and you know, the other team made a bunch of threes. That's a lot easier than like Jokic and Murray and Porter just all went for 25 plus and we have no shot at stopping this team. That's not what I feel like Suns fans should think. Yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it. And honestly, just the the combination of the Suns not doing the little things and Denver was doing them, That that's just kind of the the overall, you know, my overall takeaway as well. It's just that Denver wanted it more They're and they're willing to, uh, to do those little things. And that's a little bit concerning that, you know, we're in the Western Conference semifinals and we're not getting the level of engagement that you'd like. Um, but there's always going to be a team, you know, it's in sports in general. It's just, you know, that wants it more on any given night. And, you know, last night it was Denver and uh, the Suns, I, I expect them to bounce back. I think this is going to be, uh, like I said, a pretty even series. There's going to be a lot of, you know, trading punches. And it's just about how you respond uh, to that first punch. Because if they, they go in there and they look rattled in game two and it just it's uh, the same story all over again, then then we could start to get a little bit worried. But but at this moment in time, uh, you know, you just can't overreact to one game. You know, the sky is falling. I, get I mean, it, you, you know. can. 
Plenty of you people can. did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you, you definitely can. And a lot of people will, but um, I just think, you know, the Suns aren't, and that's, what's important. Yeah. I think this team, they know, uh, they know what it's going to take to, to win this series. They know that they're not going to sweep them. This isn't that same Nuggets team. Uh, I saw a lot of Suns fans very confident in the series and I, you know, I, I love the Suns team. I think that they have a chance to win a title and, um, but this, this Denver team, you cannot take lightly. And I think uh, last night was a great demonstration of that. So uh, just yeah. expect more locked in Suns team. That's, that's the main takeaway at this point is just, you know, there, there's no room for games like that at this stage. Durant, I think, said it best where he was asked, like, were you surprised how strong they came out? And he, you know, he like genuinely seemed taken off, caught off guard by that question. He was like, no, this is, you know, been a dominant team from really start to finish outside of a one rough streak where they streak where they lost to the Knicks and the Nets and the Pistons and whatever, or some some bad team. And then obviously they started sitting guys at the end. They could have won more than 53 games, but 53 is pretty nice. So no, nobody should be afraid. And he said, but we got to get, you know, get back on track in game two. Um, let's switch over to the offense and defense, just breaking down both sides of the ball. And again, what stuck with us? What feels real? What is an emergency versus just game one jitters and feel out and lack of execution stuff that can get better? A little bit of what I did in the first segment yesterday, but I want to hear what Brandon has to say of what really mattered in that game. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by Prize Picks, the best daily fantasy game out there, the best, honestly, fantasy game out there, in my opinion. And every day of the NBA playoffs through the finals, one Prize Picks user will win a chance of becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time will be randomly selected each day. Whoever Placed that entry will then be given a six-pick flex with the following payouts. So you place your entry after 8 a.m., and then if you place it, then you get entered to potentially be selected to try your chance at this million-dollar pool. If you get six correct, you get a million dollars. If you get five, 80,000, four, 16,000. Full details can be found at pricepicks.com million. You must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million-dollar payout. If you're new to prize picks and you're just wondering, how do I get involved? You pick two to six players, you can win up to 25 times your money. It's that easy. You can be make an entry in 60 seconds or less. They're operational in Arizona. Here's how you join. Download the Price Picks app. Prize Picks app. Go to prizepicks.com. Sign up. When you make your first deposit, Price Picks will match it up to $100 if you use the code Locked On. Means if you deposit $100, Price Picks matches that right back into your account if you use the code Locked On. Don't forget to enter that promo code Locked On at sign up. When you download Price Picks for an instant deposit match, up to $100. Coming back here, 125-107, if anyone needed that reminder. Let's talk about what the offense and defense looked like for the Suns, Brandon. And I kind of caught myself during the recap show yesterday as I was talking through the offense because I, I, I said decisiveness was really the name of the game. Monty pointed it out pregame. He said, we have packages that can provide answers to anything a half-court defense is going to throw at us, especially, you know, he didn't say this, but I'll say it. We know Denver is definitely not going to be the team to slam the brakes on your offense. They're not going to be the best defense the Suns face, but they have answers. It's just about finding them and finding them quickly, and I don't think that's what they did. But I caught myself, what I caught myself doing is that I feel like the KD ISO stuff in the first quarter actually what I might say that they should do the best or that they did the best that they should keep doing because they scored 30 points in that quarter. They did it in a variety of ways that all resulted in the ball in Durant's hands, attacking one-on-one -on -one defenders in space. 
and he scored almost 20 points in that quarter. So I was kind of saying like, oh, you know, you don't want to get too bogged down with that stuff. But I said pre-series that he was going to be the difference maker. He did it in the first quarter, and it was after that that the Suns started to fall apart. Do you agree that that's kind of the course of action that the Suns should try to go back to and just maybe stay with it this time? Yeah, I think that's one of a couple of things, honestly. Uh, I, I think you can't ever go wrong getting the ball to Kevin Durant, uh, first of all. So the more they go to him, the better. Um, and like you said, that was their best quarter, uh, was going through him within the flow of the offense. I think uh, another area that I'd like to see, and they actually did, I'm pretty sure they had uh, yeah, 23 to 20 in fast break points advantage. Uh, I think that's one thing, just getting out in transition where their offense flows at its best, especially in a game like this. Uh, making Denver, you know, get back and play, de- like, you know, before they can set their defense, that's that's a main, like, I would say strength that the Suns can, you know, try to take advantage of. Because this, this Denver team, uh, if you get them in a half-court set, you know, they're not as um, – what's the word I'm looking for here? They're not as vulnerable, I feel like. But if you can get them in favorable matchups where, you know, it's – Michael Porter Jr. backpedaling on on a fast break or something. That's that's something I think the Suns, you know, they missed campaign sorely in the Clipper series for that reason, just pushing the, the tempo. Um, so that's one area I think just playing a little bit faster, uh, more decisive, like you said earlier, is just, you know, getting into your sets and really just going after their weak links. That's that's kind of the main thing. It's uh, whether it's through Durant or Booker, you know, just hunting Michael Porter Jr., um, you know, making Jokic work on defense as well, just – you know, just just make them play defense. That's Mm -hmm. pretty much plain and simple. Yeah. I think the MPJ note is a good one in terms of kind of what I'm talking about right out of the gate. It felt like they were very clearly Porter was going to be the pigeon again. And I think that that ended after three minutes and we never really saw it again. Um, It's so weird how the playoffs are though. Like I'm, I, I almost like the more of these games that I watch and like I'm plugged into it more, this year than I have been in a long time trying to do the, the big picture national show too. And, um, team, like you would think that would be so much easier than it is, but you have to be, you have to be ready for it. You you can't go away from stuff that's working. So I think that's a great shout on, on Porter jr. Specifically, but whoever they determine it to be, I think making Jokic have to guard a real genuine Aiton lob threat, is something we didn't really see. You know, Aiton got a lot of his offense attacking switches, but he didn't really get any, you know, dunks over Jokic. Jokic, I criticized them for only pulling Jokic into one foul. I know he's not a player who fouls a lot because, quite frankly, he doesn't contest all that much at the rim. He mm-hmm. ignores that so that he doesn't have to worry about foul trouble, but make him try, you know, and that didn't really happen either. Um, on the transition, and then we can switch over to the defense. Some numbers to back up what you said. So this game was a half-court game in large part. That was where it was decided because the Suns could not get a bucket in the half-court and Denver was incredible in the half-court. But what's funny is you can criticize the Suns for turning the ball over too much, and they did. But the Nuggets were actually not that effective scoring off of steals in this game. Um, They only scored 100 points per 100 possessions off of steals, which is not good because you think typically that should be like a layup or a dunk or at least some sort of open shot against a defense that's not set. And the Nuggets didn't really do much there, despite getting a 14 steals, I think it was. But on the other end, with the other way that you can get transition is obviously running off of misses. You can also run off makes, but not a lot of teams do that unless they're in Sacramento. Um, rebounds, the Suns were incredible. They ran on almost 40% of, of Denver's misses, and they scored almost 178 points per 100 possessions there. 
So the Suns were actually the most effective transition team in this game, even though it felt like it all started to fall apart when the Suns were turning the ball over. It was, but sometimes the Nuggets were just going slow even after a steal or after a bad Suns miss because Murray was cooking and, and the pick and roll was working so well and all that stuff. So uh, that's interesting. I don't know. It'll be interesting to monitor kind of how that continues. But let's flip over to defense. Um, what, what worried you the most? You've been positive a lot so far, but what worried you the most about allowing 125 points, three 30-point quarters, three 20-point-plus scores on the Nuggets? It wasn't pretty. So what would you pinpoint as kind of the, the biggest worry sign from what we saw in Game 1? Yeah, so it's, it's two things to me. It's just the pick-and-roll defense. I think just the activity on that was not as engaged as it needs to be at this level. You just have to be – you have to react faster. You have to be in the right spot uh, because the game just moves so quick, uh, especially with how Denver's offense clicks. You, you just need to anticipate these things, and we can't be going back to, to square one. And it's not just eight, and it's – I thought the, the entire team defense on pick-and-rolls could have been a lot better. Um but obviously DeAndre is the anchor, so a lot of that falls on him. And I thought he made some uh, mistakes defensively that I, we haven't really seen uh, a lot in, come playoff time from him. So, so that's kind of uh, my one concern there. Um, as far as closing out on shooters, I thought they did a pretty lazy job of that. Uh, there's a lot of uncontested threes that just I, were mind-boggling to me. Like you can't not contest in a playoff game. That's, so that's, that's one area that uh, I think they have to do a better job of uh, this next game. Just get your hands up, you know, run hard at the shooters. Like, it's it's basic stuff. It's just little things like we were talking about earlier um, that they just didn't do. Um, I thought Akogi, starting Akogi, I actually thought was the right move. I like that from Monty just because I think he, he's probably the only one that can fight over the screens and chase Murray. Like, you know, um, obviously didn't matter because Jamal just didn't miss any shots, which uh, is going to happen. Uh, some of them are very tightly contested shots from Akogi as well is Craig and it just didn't matter when Murray's in that mode like people you know you can complain all you want about you know certain defenders not getting the job done but sometimes there's just better offense and that, that's what that was um but the, the effort things that that's what you can control so that's the main thing I'm looking forward to for uh for game two just close out on shooters box out the offensive rebounds were terrible um you know you yeah. can't let the, allow them to double you on that so that's uh, a lot of little things that just boil down to effort and engagement. So that's that's like it's concerning in one, on one hand, but on the other, on the other hand, it's very correctable. So um, yeah. that alleviates a little bit of that concern. Yeah, I think I agree with you on, on all those fronts. As far as kind of going down the list of players from Denver, um, two th and I don't mean this disrespectfully, it's just the way that the series go, right? Guys, especially non-stars, are not going to show up every night. If they did, they would be stars. So I think it's two two players that I think it you can wonder if they'll maintain. I think Bruce Brown driving to the basket, that feels like another example of what you're talking about in terms of effort, being locked in. He can do 7 11 of 11 from the field, you know, and three assists to zero turnovers in 25 minutes score 14 points thought he was amazing on defense that's not going anywhere but offensively mm -hmm. I don't know if I don't know if that's going to happen every night if you guard him and treat him like a threat to drive the ball into the paint and make tough shots I think you match that intensity and some of that might go away I feel like Aaron Gordon I don't think you guard him any differently than you did based on this game if he's making somewhat contested spot up threes from not the corner. Congratulations, Denver. 
You know what I mean? You beat us. You beat our defense. We gave you, you got the shot we were trying to give you and, and your guy made it. Like, I don't think you treat him like some sort of Kevin Durant in the corner or on the top of the key just because he, he got hot one night. I also don't know if he's going to make some of those drives, but he, he can do that. So you do, you do still have to match that. But then I think you look at the other side of it and it's like, well, Michael Porter Jr. is probably going to score more than 11 points in a lot of these games. He had a really nice stretch to start. I think he had nine points in the first half, only two in the second half. Just didn't have to be involved because other guys had it cooking. So he he's more than capable of he, – he ISO'd a little bit in the first half. He got some stuff off of other players. He can kind of do it all. I mean, you can disrupt his dribble, I think, because he's also tall like Durant, not nearly as good of a ball handler. You know, you can make him work hard for it, but he can score. Yeah. Let's close here, though. How How worried are you – because I kind of put it in this, this also sounds like a negative, and I don't mean it that way. But to me, Murray and Jokic are, you can't disconnect them. And so I, you know, a lot of people were reacting on the Denver side, hearing Monty say, you got to get the ball out of Murray's hands. And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> if you do that, they've won because the ball will then be in Jokic's hands on a short roll or in a miss, on a mismatch in the post or whatever the case may be. And that's a bigger L. Uh, in in the half court than Murray making a crazy step back three. I put it that he he sort of operates independently from the offense a little bit. And that's what playoff players have to do. We just saw Steph Curry go for 50. It's not like he was doing that with a bunch of super complicated half court sets. He just was making shots. That's what you have to do. How much would you adjust what you're doing on Murray from what we saw in game one? And how much um, does what he did feel like replicable and you have to expect it. I, I wouldn't like this might shock you a little bit, but I, I don't think I would adjust that much. Like I, I really, obviously there's like little things I think they can do better uh, defensively, but overall I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a make or miss league and Jamal just couldn't miss. Uh, there's, and that's what makes this Denver offense so scary is that they, you know, you could focus so much on Murray and Jokic, but they have, you know, three or four other guys that can get hot at any moment. And uh, so if you focus too much on trying to slow Jamal down, um, it's probably going to lead to those other guys getting theirs. So um, and Denver's at their best when everyone's kind of doing a little bit of everything. So if you want to make it, you know, a, a Murray uh, Jokic centric offense, like I, I think that's kind of what the Suns sort of tried to do a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extent that it was, but um, you know, if they can do that a little more naturally and like contain it better, I think they have a very good chance of winning. Um, but you know, Denver's offense is just tough to stifle. It really is. They have so many weapons and we saw uh, a preview of that. And like, and like you said, Bruce Brown going for, you know, doing what he did, uh, kind of feels like when Torrey Craig has a good game for the Suns. that's what it feels like for, for those fans, uh, on the yeah. on their side. So, <laughs> sure. uh, for a Kogi and Craig only have five points too. That was, that was another, um, you know, when it comes down to role players, they need those guys, one of those guys to step up at the very least. So, uh, yeah, yeah overall we'll Denver's those- offense is just you know, it's, it's a machine. So you just got to contain it the best you can. It is. It absolutely is. Um, we'll get to Okogi to start off our game two thoughts in depth. Last thing on this, I think one natural kind of like you said, don't overdo it, but try to stick to what your original plan was. Don't change that plan just because of what happened, but be more proactive about, um, not allowing the comfort level that Murray got to is it felt very obvious that Murray was much more comfortable once the Nuggets started going to pick and roll versus dribble handoffs. Um, Mm. And a lot of that is what you said. I don't want to overdo it with Aiton. It's one game. We've seen him be very, very 
uh, honestly elite as a pick and roll defender at times, especially in the playoffs. The way he played in game one was atrocious, not up to the caliber of the performance that he needs to have whatsoever. He knows that. He's making a ton of money. He's been through this before. There is absolutely no excuse to play like you played when we were all looking at your development as a second-year player. That time is gone. you got to do it better. That would be an easy way. If they have to adjust and go back to Jokic post-ups or Jokic dribble handoffs, I think Murray, not to say he can't cook that way too, but at least it makes him adjust, and then you start to see where that goes. Let's talk about game two. Uh, maybe some predictions. We'll see. Definitely want to start with Josh Okogie in the starting lineup, if that still makes sense. We'll do that after a quick break. Coming back here, closing out the show, game two, Monday night, Denver. Should be a great crowd. Should be an awesome game again. We'll give you our thoughts on this game in particular, starting with the starting lineup on the Phoenix side, Brandon. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I thought one of my biggest takes, I didn't even really know why it was a discussion outside of, I guess there's this idea that like, if you're the first team to adjust, that's some sort of weakness. I don't really buy into that. I think if you're adjusting to combat the other team proactively, then so be it, go for it. Uh, and I thought that was a, a no-brainer decision because of the way that Akogi can navigate screens better than anyone on this team. Or so we thought. I don't think he was up to his normal level. I think we've seen him be better at it before. But the, the fact remains, his matchup went off in a game where he was out there to stop that matchup. And he also didn't impact the game in a lot of the other ways that we've typically seen. So would you start Josh Okoge again in game two and roll with it again or pivot back to Torrey Craig and bring that size and another wing, true traditional wing out there? I would I would keep a Kogi in, in the starting lineup. I think, like you said, we've we've seen him play better defensively. I think it was just, um, you know, a little bit of an adjustment period. You know, just getting thrown into, uh, you know, the pace of the game. Now that Kogi knows what to expect, I think we'll see a little bit better of a performance from him defensively. And and honestly, like all uh, when it comes to offense with him, like whatever you get as a bonus, I'm not too concerned with that. If he does his job on Murray, it, ch it changes the entire course of the series. So. Uh, for that reason, I would, I would keep him in there. Um, if he has another rough game, though, and heading back to Phoenix, that's definitely something that I think uh, Monty has to take a good look at and, you know, adjust with Craig uh, potentially and, you know, go from there. But, but yeah, I, I would leave him in for now. I, I don't think you want to overreact too much, uh, but at the same time, there has to be some adjustments made. So it's, it's kind of a fine line. Like you said, you you know, the first team to, to adjust isn't necessarily a, a weakness. It's just called being smart, like <laughs> you're getting ahead of, problems and looking for solutions so i think uh we'll probably see a little more uh experimentation from monty but probably nothing too dramatic so uh we'll stick on the rotation here suns are giving four and a half points on the road not a surprise there really uh that feels not like an overreaction but a, a good line for the game on FanDuel. and the nuggets are almost two to one favorites on the money line i think all of that is is right where it should be this is an, another road game for the suns the nuggets have you know they're coming off of a win people are going to feel better about them all that's normal um so just to put put into perspective where we are in case people are, are sort of wondering about any of that two more questions on the rotation obviously landry shamit has gotten a ton of attention i continue to believe that his minutes might not be great i know he had the turnovers in game five uh, against the Clippers. He did get cooked by Murray a couple times. I frankly think almost everybody on this team has a, a role to play in the way that Murray was able to go off. 
I'm not. If Landry Shamit's 14 minutes are the reason that the Suns lost the game, I'd be the first person to say it. I don't think they were. I also think it's a fool's errand to kind of think Monty's going to pivot away from that. But we also didn't see a lot of campaign. We did see a little bit of Damian Lee. We didn't really see any of Terrence Ross until garbage time, Brandon. Do you think we see a change with those four guards and which of them is playing the most in game two? I don't. Um, I think Shamit at this point is pretty much locked in to get minutes no, no matter what he does. That's just what it feels like. So I'm not going to expect it until I see it happen. Um, but like you said, you know, he's kind of the target. It uh, seems like whenever they have a, there's always like one or two guys that it's either usually uh, DeAndre or Landry that kind of get the, you know, the blame for a lot of losses. And, you know, I'd, like you said, I'd be the first to admit if that game fell solely on Landry, but it definitely didn't. Um, you know, they had a lot more issues than that. But but I, I would like to see them make some adjustments, maybe try, um, you know, try Ross or Warren, someone just as a spark plug, if it gets to that point where they're, you know, falling behind and what they're doing is not working. Um, but I don't think you do that just to do it early on. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough for me to not see Landry in the, the rotation. It's, it's Monty's guy. So, <laughs> I think the thing with Ross, as much as I get that it makes sense, and especially when you see the three-point discrepancy, I understand why people would call for Ross. I don't, again, feel like the Suns having enough scoring power is probably ever going to be their problem. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, they have Booker and Durant, especially in the playoffs. Those guys are going to be playing. And in this game, they didn't play the last five minutes. But if they had, they would have both been in the 40s. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to score. So I don't feel like putting somebody out there just to be like, well, now we have a fourth guy who can score in every lineup. It's like, well, I think three is probably enough. You know, like, let's let's get the other stuff taken care of. So I get it. I don't think we're there yet. If the Suns offense falls off a cliff, maybe you talk about what you can change there. Let's talk about the center spot, too. I thought what Monty said in the postgame was pretty interesting, and I felt very similarly in thinking about it after the fact that the offense that they got from Aiton when he was in there against the Nuggets small ball lineup, when he was getting post-ups against Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, and he was scoring well, Monty was like, it just it slowed down, it got us out of our good habits, and that's probably not going to be the best sustainable option to keep our offense going, especially when you know one or both of Booker and Durant aren't out there. So where that leads us with the backup bigs is I understand why Monty was doing that from an Aiton standpoint. I also thought it made some sense from a Biombo standpoint because he was really good on the short roll in the first round. And if he's out there against Jokic, yes, you have to worry about him guarding Jokic, but you can also make sure that slip pass is always going to be there when Biombo's on the roll because Jokic was up at the level of the screen trying to take that away, that pass, that slip pass to Biombo, just like it was against Zubats, that's always going to be there. Problem is, Biombo just didn't play very well, and Landale ended up getting a lot of the minutes after Biombo's first uh, stretch. Which of those guys do you feel like are going to play the backup center minutes in game two? Or KD at the five. People want that too. Yeah, I mean, it could. There's there's a lot of options. I mean, you could even go with Ish if you want to get crazy in a small ball lineup. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But at, at this point, I think Jock's probably going to get a shot. If I had to guess, that's just kind of what my gut tells me that uh, this feels like a series that Monty probably thinks he could use him in. Um, how that's going to go, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. It depends on which Jock shows up because when he's confident and he's attacking the glass and doing the little things and setting solid screens, uh, making quick reads. Um, 
he's a useful big. So I think they could use that to maybe, you know, going back to your Monty quote, just talking about the flow of the offense. I think sometimes the Suns offense looks great when Jock's out there. So that could be something that Monty does to try to give him a little bit of a, a boost uh, offensively because Bismack's pretty limited with what he can do uh, on that side of the floor. But obviously, you know, the rim protection's another story. So that's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to find that, that balance. And with these two guys, it's just, you don't know which version you're going to get and what type of game it'll be uh, almost on a game by game basis because things change so quick in the playoffs. But um, I, I think we're going to see a little bit more jock. If we saw some Durant at the five, I would not be shocked either. So um, I, I would love to see mm-hmm. it, you know, point, give me that point five offense. So I, I think I lean the same way as you with jock. I think he, so I think one of the things is he can play against the Jeff Green lineups or the Jokic lineups in a way that Biombo, you're not really, I mean, the Suns have dumped it off to, to Biombo against a, a mismatch. That doesn't tend to go well. That's how you get a, an airballed hook shot. No shots at Biombo, but that is just true. Uh, and then Landell too, like he has the pick and pop. I think he plays with, it's weird. They're both good rebounders, but I feel like the types of like bobbled rebounds that Jokic kind of creates, I like that. Landale's a little bigger and mobile and can kind of like move his feet to go pursue rebounds. Whereas Biombo, it's like, he's going to box out. He's a good, you know, athlete, but he's really mostly going to get the rebounds that kind of come his way on defense. I think Landale can be a better defensive rebounder. He hasn't always been that it's all a lot of ifs, but that could be an interesting adjustment there. I think we're in agreement on the guards. I think we talked about everything else. Um, we, we really hit on adjustments throughout the first two segments, too, in terms of, you know, more schematic stuff. So I think that's good. Do you have a prediction? Do you want to give a prediction? It's game by game. I don't usually do that. You don't have to if you don't want to. Just tell me how you're feeling. Um, I surprisingly feel pretty good. I think the, the Suns will pull it out. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, but I, I think we're about to see a, a Kevin Durant masterclass. That's, that's my prediction here. Uh, I'm going to just throw it out there. 44 points from KD. Game two, uh, heading back to Phoenix, feeling good about themselves. And, uh, you know, there's a long gap between games two and three. So please, Lord, do not let us uh, sit on the, oh an 2 deficit. So we have four days yeah. of just bask in that. Like, please, I no, thought thank of that you. too. Yeah. So yeah. I think the, sun, the Suns will, will win. It's going to be a, a fight. Um, you know, my original prediction game by game, the beginning was Denver, uh, Denver game one. Suns win uh, the next three. Denver wins game five, and then Denver or Phoenix closes it out in six. So that's my that's still my prediction. I uh, gotta stick with my guns there. So hopefully, it you know two for two on this. Yeah, I think Suns fans will like to hear that. I I think the, the Suns any team can win every game. I I don't mean that to hedge or like back off of a prediction. I I think game by game predictions are a little silly because they could easily go down 0-2 and my sons and seven thing could very well still happen. So I'm not going to, you know, get too uh, tight with it. Obviously go down 3-0 and I start to worry. So, you know, you want to you want to try to take care of business in game two here, not allow those little things to get in the way. And then, you know, hope that again, that a Durant type masterclass would get you over the hump. Um, Durant. The over-under for points on on FanDuel for him is 29 and a half. I think it was 30 and a half in game one. So uh, that feels pretty tasty. Both guys, I think, were at like 29-30, and they both barely did not get there between Durant and Booker in game one. But yeah, minus 104 there. That's always fun. I like to play your point stuff. You can parlay that, all that good stuff. I don't know. I just gave FanDuel an extra little little bump there. You're welcome, guys, if you're listening. Um, But that'll wrap us up. 
again, game two Monday. Enjoy it. I like to remind people of that during the playoffs. Everydayers, I will be back Monday night as soon as the game ends with the recap show. We'll make it through one way or another together. Hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. Listen to Locked On NBA in the meantime. Get caught up around the whole league. That show's available on all podcast platforms as well. And I'll catch you guys Monday night.